book of Isaiah in the Bible, we come to a place there when people of God, God's people, they're off track from, from how he told them that he wanted them to live their life. They're not following after God. They've fallen far away from him. They're not doing things like he said, okay? They're, they've fallen away from him. They stopped obeying him, and they're, doing, they're not doing the things he asked them to do. He, they're just not following God, no obedience. They lost their way as the people of God. Um, and because of this, they were in a lost state. You know, they, weren't, they were in a lost state. And they were asking some of those similar questions that I pointed out there before, such as, how did I get here? What's ahead for me? Um, now, what I want to point out first, before I read this passage, is I am not saying that if you've ever felt this, I'm a little lost, I don't know what life's the direction of life, I am not saying that it's because of sin in your life, okay? But what I do want you to notice when I read this passage, right, I want you to notice this, God's attitude about what's going on. He's not happy. He's not mad. He's like a father or a parent who's watching their child do everything not right and wanting to help them get it back together. Get back on, come on, let me help you out. You know, come on, can I, listen, I, I'm not happy. I want to help you. I want to get you on your way again. I want to stop that sat-nav sat from buffering so you can hear me again and you can begin to do the things that I've called you to do. He wanted to get them from this sad and wandering and dark pathway that they couldn't see. Everything was obscured. He wanted to get them to a place of joy, of light, a light on their path, and and in a, in a place where they knew what was next and that they would once again know who they were, life would not be disorientating anymore because their, their connection with God is clear. And he, they can hear him and they can, and, and he wanted to do that. It was his desire. He wanted to get them back to a place where his plans for, the, for their lives, his plans for their lives were clear. And they, and they could sense it, and they knew it. Okay, so I'm going to read this. Now, um, let's see. We're reading Isaiah chapter 58, verses 8 through 10. Now, he had just said, like I said, that um, you're doing everything wrong. You're not obeying me. He said, but if, this is paraphrase, this first bit here. If you're going to begin to do what I ask you again, then this good stuff's going to happen. This stuff, starting in verse 8. Then your salvation will come like the dawn, and your wounds will, heal, will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward, and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then when you call, the Lord will answer, yes, I'm here, he will quickly reply. Now this next bit, he's telling them what he wants them to stop, okay? He says, remove the heavy yoke of oppression. Stop pointing the finger and spreading vicious rumors. Those are the things he said, please stop doing this but do this bit. He's saying, this is what I want you to do. Feed the hungry. Help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out from the darkness, and the darkness around you will become bright as the noon. Then the Lord will guide you 
continually, giving you water when you're dry and restoring your strength. You will be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring. And I love this bit, verse 12, because in this bit, you see the heart of God where he doesn't just, he's, he wants to help them, but he also wants to fill them with purpose, fill them with his plans. He's like, I don't just want you to, you know, be happy in your bumbling aroundness. <laughs> I want you to be happy and joyful, and I've got things for you to do. I have got important things, meaningful things, things that I have planned for you. Verse 12, some of you will rebuild the deserted ruins of your cities. Then you'll be known as a rebuilder of walls and a restorer of homes. God had purpose, and God has plans for his people. So here's the bottom line, right, of what I'm saying. Being lost is not what God wants for anyone on this planet, okay? And here's the good news, that if you are already a child of God, okay, if you've made that decision, and you belong to God already, and you know it, and you're like, well, I am a Christian, I love the Lord, then you are not actually lost, that is the good news, okay? You are not actually lost. But actually, what you are is one of the, and this is not just clever words here, but you are some of the most found people on the planet. The most found people on the planet. And you might feel a little lost in an area of your life or maybe the whole general thing. He wants to turn the lights on for you in that area or in the whole thing in general. He wants to. And he wants that sat-nav of your life to just stop buffering so that he wants you to know the plans and the purposes that he has for your life. He's not hiding them. He's not hiding them. It is his will to let you know what those things are. He wants to. He's like that dad talking to his children saying, you're in a mess. I want to help you. Okay? Now, lost in scripture is, this is, would be a scriptural definition. Unconnectedness to God. I think I might have made that word up, but I think you get what I mean. <laughs> Not being connected to God. Okay. Unconnectedness to God is what scriptural Bible lost is. And when Jesus came, it says in Luke 19.10, it said that Jesus' mission his whole mission is this, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. That's what he came to do. And every time in Scripture, as you read your Bibles, when things are lost, he always wants to intervene to find them. Always, always, always. God has a true aversion to things being lost, to people feeling lost, to people being outright lost, meaning they're not children of God and unconnected to him. He has an aversion to lost things. You know, Jesus told stories, didn't he? Parables, you know, he told parables. He was famous for his parables. He told good stories. And they had deep spiritual meanings. And in the book of Luke, Luke 15, he tells three, three in a row, 
And they're all about lost things being found. A lost coin, this woman, she searches her whole house for this lost coin, she finds it, tells everyone in the whole neighborhood, and it's like, woo, we found it. Then there's the shepherd with the lost sheep, he leaves the 99, and he goes to find that one. He finds the sheep and he's like, whoa, we found the sheep, yay! You know, and there's such rejoicing at the end of finding, when I was a kid I could never understand the woman with the coin, I was like, it's a coin. Why is she invite everyone round? But then I didn't understand the fact that Jesus was making a deeper point than this woman finding a I thought I thought of me cleaning my room and finding a penny. Ooh, you know? But it wasn't that. And then the last one, which is my favorite one, and which is probably a favorite amongst Christians, is the prodigal son, the lost son. When he goes and he leaves his father's house, and he goes and he's lost out there in the world, and one day he just comes to his senses and is like, you know, I could be a slave in my father's house, and I'd be better off than with the pigs out here and he comes walking home and he's thinking oh I'm just gonna have to I'm just gonna have to you know really you know come be humble and just accept like a really bad job at my father the father sees him from far off and comes running and he puts a ring on his finger and a robe and he said my son who was lost and now he's come home you know so he hates lost things Jesus wants things found. He wants you to feel found in every way, in him, in every area of your life. Now, Jesus said this in Luke 10, 27, right? He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. Now, the heart, that's the control center, the scripture says, for your whole of your life, right? Doesn't it say in Proverbs, it says, guard your heart, for out of it flows everything else in your whole life. So your heart is your control center. Then we've got the soul. He said, love him with all your soul, right? What's your soul? Your emotions, your creativity, all the giftings in your life. And he says, love him with all your strength. What is that? That's everything that makes you strong in this life. Your health, your wealth, your substance. Those things that, that material things even, the things that make us strong here, our strong bodies, right? And with, with, love him with all your mind. That's your thoughts, your ideas, and your intelligence. And in that one scripture, God, Jesus telling us to love God with all of our lives, he, he's, he's basically pointed out everything that makes us who we are. He says just love God with every single thing in you, with all and I'll tell you right now, God is not this power-hungry, you must love me. You know, he wants us to love him with all in every area of our lives. Yes, because he's worth it, but more so because it's good for us. It's good for us because, you see, as you're loving him, if you were to imagine your heart and, and all those different areas up on a board and you're loving God with all of those areas, right, and when I say you're loving him with all those areas, I, I mean that the, that connection, that lostness is gone, right? And I imagine that there's you and there's every part of your life and it's connected, little wires connected fully and firmly into God. They're all connected, all the parts of your life, right? As you are loving him in every area, I, I imagine this in my head, that through those wires comes everything that God is, the fullness of the giver of life, fully, as you fully love him, he fully loves you back. And it's all flowing into every area of your life. And as we are loving him with our all, 
one of the perks of that, of our foundness, of our deep connection in every area, is that he fills us, rather than fills us, he makes us aware of our purpose in life. And he downloads his plans that he has prepared for us in advance way back before you were even born. Before the foundations of the world, he had plans for you. So when we are fully and firmly connected, I almost feel like floodgates are lifted and everything he is can flow into every area of the parts of us that are loving him. And we can flourish in those areas. And that's one of the perks of us being found in Christ, that we are filled with his plans and with purpose. Now, let me talk about plans and purpose. Purpose of something is the reason why that thing exists, right? Um, now, it is the purpose of every human being on this planet, saved or unsaved. God's purpose for that person is to be connected to him and for, for the life of that person to bring God glory. That's everyone's purpose on the planet. It's just that that's why people are running around not knowing what their purpose is. They don't know the purpose of life. You know, there was this, I watched this thing where um, this guy wanted to witness to people. He, he just happened to be in Israel, and he wanted to witness to the Jewish people. So he said, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go around on the street, and I'm just going to say, what is one question you can ask God? And from that, he was going to then um, begin to witness. Like, four out of five the question they said is, what's the purpose of life? They said if they could ask one question, what's the purpose of life? People don't know what the purpose of their lives is. When you have found Christ, the purpose of your life is activated. Do you see that in that way you are the most found person on this planet? In that you are all, you are, you're sitting there, right? You're doing what you were made for. Not because you're sitting in church, but because you're loving God. You could be sitting at home on your couch eating an ice cream cone. But if you're saved and you know Jesus, the purpose of your life is being fulfilled. Okay, now plans. This is a little different. Now, this is a definition for plans. A detailed proposal for achieving something. Okay, we all know when we go on holiday, there's always one person, right, who pulls this list out that rolls onto the floor and says, on our holiday, this is what I want to do. We're going to do this. And they have a detailed uh, proposal for achieving something, right? Another um, good definition of plans is arrangements made in advance. You know, and God wants to use our lives and... and the plans that he has for each of us, he has plans for each and every single one of us, bespoke plans made just for you. And it is our plans, the plans that he has for us, prepared for us, that kind of work together with our purpose. Everything that God has for your life and the plans in your life that might be very bespoke, might have to do with your talents and your abilities and all that, they're going to uphold the purpose of your life, which is to be connected to him and to bring glory in every area of your life. Now, so our purpose and our plans, they work in harmony. And um, Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. He planned stuff for us long ago, a long time ago. You know, my time is actually almost finished, um, <laughs> right? But I don't have a lot more. But what I'm going to share with you next is, um, well, I'll tell you in a second. But, you know, you might be feeling a little lost in life 
in an unsettling season of your life, perhaps, like the ones I mentioned. But the truth is that when God found you, when he found you, like that coin and that sheep and that lost son, right, that he gave your life purpose, or he actually brought about the purpose, and you were fulfilling the purpose for your life, and he prepared plans for you to fulfill his purpose. Now, if you want to get unstuck in that area of your life, or in your whole life, and you want to find that meaningful future that lies ahead for you, um, then you're going to have to do something. And the thing you're going to have to do is you're going to need to begin to stop saying the lie of, I am lost. I'm feeling lost in life. You need to stop saying that. And you need to begin to change what you say. And you need to say this. I'm actually not lost, but I'm very much found. Now, what I'm going to share with you very quickly is three thoughts, three truths from the word of God. And they are going to help you to ditch that lie. They are going to fuel in you the ability to ditch that lie of I'm lost and, and oh, I'm just wandering and I'm floating through life. And as you, these three things that I'm going to share with you, these three truths, <clears throat> they are going to help as you, as you get these three things in your heart. And I recommend that after I've given them to you, you think about these things in the week because they are going to help to remove barriers in your life that allow God to get those plans to you. You know, when we're in these disorienting seasons in life, the devil so easily can lie to us, and it feels so incredibly real. It feels so incredibly right, his lie, you know, that you are lost, that I am without hope. I am without a future in this area because you feel that way. Well, you, you need to ditch that lie. And, and these three things I'm going to tell you are going to help to remove that barrier, those to God getting his purpose and plans into your life, and it's gonna, they're going to pave a smooth way for God to be able to download to you the plans he has for you. I'd love to be able to come and prophesy over each of you. This is what you're going to do, and this is what God's plans are for you, but I don't believe that's what God wants me to do. He wants you to press into him in your time to do that because that's what he wants you to do. He wants relationship. And he wants these barriers removed. So these three truths, we're going to begin with the first one. You have to believe that as badly as you desire direction in your life, God desires just as badly to guide you into the plans he has for you. Just as badly as you want guidance, he wants to guide you just as badly. Let me read to you Psalm 57 too. This is, uh, yeah, okay. It says this, Psalm 57, 2. I cry out to God, most high, to God who will fulfill his purpose for me. Now, that was written in the Psalms by King David. And you know what? Um, many, many years previous to this, 15, as a matter of fact, he was prophesied over by the prophet Samuel that he would be the next king. And in this point in Psalm 57, 15 years later, he wasn't king yet, but he had been prophesied. God already said, you will be king. As a matter of fact, it seemed impossible. He was running from crazy maniac killer Saul <laughs> and he was running and hiding in, ca in caves. It didn't seem like the plan of God could happen. But that was what God had spoken. And number one, what he's saying is this. David is um, speaking out, saying, 
you will fulfill the purpose for my life. God, I know I feel this way. 15 years waiting and running and hiding, but I will be king. You will fulfill the purpose for my life. He ditched the lie. And the second thing he did was, he started out in that verse, I cry out to God. What is that when we talk to God? Crying out or otherwise. It's prayer. It's asking God, what is the path? Go and have a conversation with God this week. Have a conversation every day with God this week. And say, God, I cry out to you, God, because I know there's purpose and plans for, for my life. And I've been told now that you want to download them to me. Please do so, Lord. Cry out to God for the purpose and plan for your life because there is one. Okay, John 16, 13 says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. God wants to tell us the future. He wants to tell you the plans. He desires to tell you all that's been spoken of in the courts of heaven about your life, and he wants to. And he will reveal his plans for us as we ask him to and as we quiet our hearts before him and listen. You know, sometimes conversation is me talking and sometimes conversation is me shutting up and listening to the one I'm, I was talking to, right? Make time in that prayer time to listen and actively listen with a little pad of paper or a notebook and a pen and write down the things you hear in your head and in your heart and the scriptures that pop up. And just write it down, okay? You know, when I was newly married and I was living in New York with Andy, um, we were pastoring a church for a year with another um, pastor, so we had committed a year to, to serving. Um, I was also in uni university at the time, in my very final uh, semesters of university. And um, me and Andy loved America. I'm a very fam family-orientated orientated person. I have um, eight brothers and sisters. I was close to them. I'm still close to them. Um, and I remember Andy went away on a trip, a ministry trip, and I was left back because I was still working for the church. I was in university. I was very busy. And um, I remember um, I had a plan. My plan was I'm going to finish my bachelor's degree and then I'm going to get my master's degree. I'm going to begin working. And so I had a whole plan for my life, and I was not going to be dissuaded from this. But every time I went to pray, I felt God impress on my heart, you're going to move to England. I want you to move to England. And at first I thought, that's the devil. I do not want to move to England. But then as, it, as I thought, he's talking to me. He's telling me. So I thought, you know, this is back in the day. I couldn't just text Andy. I had to wait for him to come back from the ministry trip. So he came back, and I was excited to tell him what I felt God was telling me, and I wanted to see what he thought about it. Well, he sits me down, and he says to me, i got to tell you something. I really feel that God is saying that we're going to be moving to England. How do you feel about it? And I thought, you stole my thunder. <laughs> and I thought, yes, God's been saying that to me too. And it just made it so clear to me that God wants to tell us the things he has for us. He might not tell us every detail and every plan, but like Abraham, go, leave your ha father's house, go in that direction. And that's what he did for us, and I believe that's what he will do for you. Okay, second thing, as a child of God, your life has 
meaning. You've got to understand this. You've got to get this truth in there because you can sit there and think my life is meaningless and, and, and because of this and because I'm feeling a little lost in this, you, you can start believing the bad press that the devil's just, you know, finding, he finds you a little bit vulnerable. So he begins to speak the stupid things. And we sometimes begin to believe the stupid things. But this is one of the things that you're going to, that you're going to have in your toolbox. As a child of God, your life has meaning. And you go, yes, yes, when I finally get that degree or that job I've been believing for, my life will have so much meaning. Or, you know, as I, when I finally get that money that comes through and I'm really able to support the church and the things of God, oh, my life will be so filled with meaning. No. Your life is filled with meaning already. You don't have to wait for that. You don't have to wait for the things to happen in your life that you're believing for, for your life to have meaning. There's a point to your life and to your journey, even right now where you sit. You just woke up that way. You woke up today and your life was filled with meaning. Now, this makes me think in the Bible of King Solomon. You heard of King Solomon? He was King David's son. And he um, was the wisest man on the face of the earth. He had all the money you could ever possibly want. And he started out really well. He loved God. And he was all going great guns. And then he fell away from God for a huge chunk of his life. Huge chunk. And then it is believed, theologians believe, he did come back to the Lord at the end of the, his life. And he wrote a book about it. And the book is in the Bible called Ecclesiastes. Now, in this book, the book of Ecclesiastes, he talks about about how he tried everything, everything that you could possibly try. He spent all his money on all the things you could possibly have. Um, he had a, a thousand women in his life. 700 were his wives and 300 were his concubines. So he had all the women he could possibly want, all the money he could possibly want. He had everything. And you know what his, the conclusion of that is? And it's the theme of the book of Ecclesiastes is meaningless meaningless. Everything is meaningless. And he wants you to believe him because he's telling you this as a man who literally loved God, fell away from God, did every other thing that you can possibly do to bring meaning to your life, and said it wasn't. It didn't. It was unfulfilling. All of it, completely unfulfilling. But he remembered back to the time that he loved God, and, and this is what, what he says, uh, his whole conclusion about life. After, this is Ecclesiastes 12, 13. After all this, there's only one thing to say. Have reverence for God and obey his commands, because this is all that we were created for. If you are a child of God, your life already has meaning. Just go deeper into God and you'll find the meaning of your life even more clear and more powerful because you're already living it if you're a child of God. Okay. And remember this, when you go to God in prayer, like I said, that's the first thing we need to do. Those and he, and he begins to download those plans. Those plans are not what gives you meaning. Only a relationship with Jesus Christ is the thing that gives you meaning in your life. That is the only thing that brings meaning to a life. Don't, you don't have to pray, oh, Lord, please make my life mean something. It already does. It already does. Okay, third thing, third thing, last thing. Your life is valuable. Your life is valuable. Let me read Ephesians 2.10, and I'm going to read from the Passion Translation. We have become his poetry, 
a recreated people that will fulfill the destiny has, he has given each of us. For we are joined to Jesus, the anointed one. Even before we were born, God planned in advance our destiny and the good works we would do to fulfill it. Now, Apostle Paul wrote this, and he uses a word in all the other translations of this verse um, as we have become his masterpiece. But he uses a Greek word there, poema, and it's where we get our English word poem. And it can be translated as work of art, um, masterpiece. And, and he's describing the work the, of that God has that supernatural work of making in you, you into a brand new creation in Christ. If we could tear you open, <laughs> sounds gross, right? Tear you open and look inside at the spirit of you, you are God's poem. You are God's poem. Have you ever thought of yourself as divine poetry? Because that is what you are. You're God's masterpiece. You're his poem. You are his work of art. And when we look at ourselves this way, and we begin to view the work that God did in us, and, and we begin to understand the incredible value that we have in Christ. You know, what is art? Art is beautiful, it is valuable, and it is an expression of the inner being of the artist, the maker. And that is what you are. That is who you are. You know, um, just imagine if I had that great work of art here, the Mona Lisa, and I'm holding it under my arm. It's quite a small painting, actually, and I'm holding it here. And let's say this was like an ice cream cone, right, chocolate, deep, dark chocolate, so that it would really leave lots of stains, right? And I'm holding it, and I'm trying to tell you some great stuff about this, and I'm pointing at it like this, and you know, you'd be like, is that the real Mona Lisa? Why are you doing that? That's a work of art. And you're just, just dropping chocolate on it, and you're disrespecting it. Stop her. Chris and Sandy, grab it from her quick, you know? Tackle her down. Um, you know, you would say stop that because it is a work of art. You know, and, and um, it's estimated by fine art connoisseurs. Now, I don't know what they're thinking when they do this, but it's just an estimate because it really has no monetary value. I'll tell you that in a minute. It's actually, they say, worth £675,467,725. That's how much this is. Don't ask me how they came up with that number. All my fine art in my home is from home bargains, so I do not know what scale they are judging this on. But, you know, it's actually, it is, is, that would be their value. But did you know it's not even insured? And a lot of really high-end work of art, in, it, it's not insured. If that, and the reason being is because they can't actually come up with a real number for this national treasure. It's a national treasure. The French people love the Mona Lisa, and if that thing gets incinerated or whatever in a, in a terrible fire, there is no monetary value that can replace the Mona Lisa. You know, it might feel good to the heart, like, oh, I need six million pounds, it'll make me feel better. But actually, <laughs> it will not replace the Mona Lisa, so therefore, it is not insured. And one day, the Mona Lisa will be dust. Because that's just, it doesn't matter. They could keep that thing temperate in the best atmosphere. One day, it will be dust. Because that is what an earthly treasure comes to. You will never really die. You will never be dust. 
from what God did on the inside of you. Oh, yes, okay, it says that in the Bible, 2 Corinthians 4.16 says, outwardly we're perishing, but inwardly we are being renewed day by day. We go from strength to strength on the inside of who we are. We are eternal. In five million years, you will be conscious somewhere. And you will be conscious in the presence of God if you are his child. In 10 million years, in 20 million years, you can keep going. It's forever. When God writes a poem, it is eternal. It has, it has a touch on it that no earthly treasure has. And you know what? We can somehow understand this, even with our finite minds, that we can somehow, even just a little bit, understand something of eternity. Did you ever stare off into the sky and think it goes on forever and ever and ever and ever? And you just, in a moment, and it kind of blows you away? There's something inside of a human being that God, it says in Ecclesiastes, it says, Ecclesiastes 3.1, God has set eternity in their hearts. It's when he made us, he planted a little seed that we would be able to at least just a little bit understand eternity. And we, when we stand at the edge of a grave, we know, we know that there's life beyond that grave. And did you know that the majority of people out there, when interviewed, people who don't know anything of God, when you go up to them and say, do you believe in life after death? They'll say, yeah, I believe in something. I believe that something goes on. The majority of people would say, yes, I believe that there's something after because there is eternity in our hearts, and we have been made eternal because of Jesus Christ. We're going to have eternal life. That's what his promise for us is. You are so valuable. You are so valuable more than you would ever even know. You will never die. And having that eternal perspective, in many ways, it's the key to living a true Christ-following life, is having that eternal perspective. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, so we fix our eyes not on what we see with these little fleshy things, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And if we let this reality sink in, it, it will change us forever. It will change the way we think. It'll change what's important to us, and it'll change what is not important to us. It'll change everything, where we put our money, where we spend our time, how we educate our children. Everything, when we become eternity-minded, will become effective. I'm, I'm, I'm really at the end here. I'm just going to read you a quote from a book that I read. And I read this book when my mom passed away because I wanted to understand heaven more because I knew she was there, and I wanted to understand it more. It's a book called Heaven, Your Real Home, and it's by a woman called Johnny Erickson Tata. And this is a quote from that. When a Christian realizes his citizenship is in heaven, he begins acting as a responsible citizen of earth. He invests wisely in relationships because he knows they're eternal. His conversations, goals, and motives become pure and honest because he realizes these will have a bearing on everlasting reward. He gives generously of time and money and talent because he's laying up treasures for eternity. He spreads the good news of Christ because he longs to fill heaven's ranks with his friends and his neighbors. All this serves the pilgrim well, not only in heaven but on earth, for it serves everyone around him. Your, your most valuable asset in your life, even this very moment, is that you are eternal and you are of great value.
Okay, so this is a recap of the three things. God wants to bring guidance to your life. Your life is meaningful right at this moment, right where you sit. You don't have to do one more thing. If you're a child of God, that's it. Your life is filled with meaning. And number three, you are of great value. You are of great value. Don't look in the mirror anymore and say, oh, I'm fat, oh, I'm ugly, oh, I have spots, oh, I have gray hair. You're looking at the wrong thing. You're looking at the wrong thing. You know, we look at the outside, God looks at the inside, and he says, you are everlasting and beautiful, and you are my poem. Amen. Wonderful. And when you begin to get these three truths in your heart, right, then when God begins to download the plans he has for you, you're not going to say, oh, not for me, God, I can't do that. I'm too this and I'm too that. You're going to say, you know what? I'm valuable. I'm meaningful. I can do that not because I'm strong, but because he's strong in me. And not only that, when he, the things that you decide to go for and do, you're going to say, you know what? I want to do this and not that because you know what? I have an understanding of what God wants me to do and what will have eternal value. <laughs> I'm just going to end with this. When I first start, told my family um, when I was a very young girl and I met Andy and he was a minister and wanted to preach the gospel and get people saved, and um, I was so excited because I thought, yes, you know, populate heaven and get people to turn from their, their terrible ways and give them life. And uh, so I was all excited and I told my family and they t felt bad for me. <laughs> Because they were like, you're marrying a, a guy who wants to be a minister? You'll be poor your whole life, and you'll be this, and you'll be that. And I said, what do you mean? I'll be working for God, you know? Anyway, anyway, you are the most found people on the planet. You are so filled with the purposes and plans of God. He just has to reveal them to you, and he wants to. Go to him and tell him, say, God, I am found. I am found. Help me not only to act found, but to feel found and to be found. And you want to know something? What is the most attractive thing in the whole wide world? Is people who, th who know where they're going. That's who people follow. And this world needs to know, needs people who know their foundness in Christ because they are walking off the edge of a cliff and they need you. It's important that you know you're found. Amen. Well, that's the end. And I do apologize I went a bit over, but um, I just felt like God had a word for you.